Yo, what's up, fam? Welcome back to Kuyo Chris and Friends. I got another episode with you. It's with my dude Jed Lee. We both go to UC Berkeley. We both went to the Philippines this summer on a global poverty and practice practice experience component. We work with different orgs. Uh, this is us coming together to talk about the experience, especially as Filipino Americans, Asian Americans, going back to the Philippines, seeing the conditions of working communities, urban poor communities, indigenous communities, and then our reflections after taking these courses in school about global poverty and how to do quote-unquote poverty alleviation and the issues concerning even the practice of being a first world citizen going to quote-unquote marginalized communities and then trying to enact change and what the repercussions or reflections or contradictions that entails so hope you enjoy it there's some uh, sections that were cut out for you know confidentiality purposes but the majority of the piece is beautiful uh, a good reflection of the homie and uh, some good times the audio is a little bit better than last time but this is also uh, the second podcast that I did kind of just MacGyver style because I didn't have all the equipment that I needed you know mobile setups learning how to do it properly it's a learning process fam always a student so hope you enjoy please like share subscribe on iTunes Facebook YouTube SoundCloud all of that go to kuyakris.com please give me your feedback send me a message you know IG slide into them DMS send a message on the Facebook page anything to help this kind of improve you feel me thank you peace my guest Jet Lee from UC Berkeley but I'm wrong are we rolling yeah <laughs> should I say like the context of the poem or should we just get into it why don't you read the poem first and then we can give a context and break down everything okay Fifty years ago, I came to this land, where the sea gave me life. It nurtured me, fed me, disciplined me. Me and my boat on the water, we sailed and cast our nets. The fish came plenty. My hard work showed itself in Dulong, Lagi, Blid, and Vilis. I fed myself, I fed my family, we were content. I taught my sons, who then taught their sons, four generations on this land living with the waves and breeze. The sea was our source of life, but not anymore, not since they came. They came with coal and concrete, distilling alcohol, but polluting chemicals that made the sea just as drunk and unhealthy. The beating, crashing, roaring heart of the ocean, poisoned with arteries clogged full of garbage. Not since they came, with the ships boasting radar and zipper nets, and took all the fish away. Now our hard work shows itself in empty buckets, but broken backs. My boat keeps rowing, the waste keeps flowing. My relationship with the sea is strained. I don't know it anymore, and it doesn't know me. Curse this horrid third party, who came colonizing our livelihoods. Now they're coming for my home, our land, our coast, our sea. After all they've done, they can't let us be. Mm. Snaps for that. Could you tell us 
a little bit about where that poem came from? Yeah, so I spent a couple days with some fisher folk in Batangas. Um, and with who? Who was your interpreter? And stuff? <laughs> you were. You were. <laughs> we, spent, we spent a couple days together in Kalaka, Batangas, Barangay Kezambing. Kezambing, yep. And um, the family I stayed with, they had um, it's a large family. They all lived together in like six different houses in this one part of the village. And I guess the patriarch, um, Ricardo Mandak. Um, he he's like the eldest, and um, there's four generations of his family all living in this like little part of the village. Um, and he was a fisher fifty years ago, and he, um, the his youngest son, who I stayed with, was a fisherman. His son was a fisherman. the The youngest the youngest one is not not old enough yet, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was telling me about how, like, 50 years ago, like, you would see fisher boats, like, out in the water all the time, and, like, it was easy to catch fish. It was, like, there, and it wasn't easy, I mean, it's still hard work, but they were able to without, like, an excessive amount of work. Um, but now he was, he was just like, oh, there's this one quote that would just, like, rip my heart out. It was, like, the sea used to be a source of life, but not anymore. Um, and uh, I have a Tagalog translation if you want to read that. Me? Yeah. I'm Okay, let's see how my Tagalog it, is. I'm a stumble, but I, I'll try to read it. The hard part with short. Tagalog, but the hard part with Tagalog is written, it can look, a, it looks a certain way, but you're not really sure about the pronunciation of where the stress is. Uh, because there are different words that could make could mean totally different things in uh, depending on the uh, oh ang karagatan ay ang pinagkukunan ng buhay pero di na ngayon mm. all sorts of life interesting uh, pinagkukunan is there, like the literal translation is the sea is where you get life from. Pinagkukunan ng buhay, but not anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Said, but it does sound better as source of life. Ricardo Mandak. Oh, yeah, I totally didn't get into why. Why there's no more fish. So, mm. in Kalaka, there's so much industry there. Like, there's four, three, three power plants. They're going to build a fourth one a concrete factory, an alcohol distillery, and a steel factory, all just in like this small part of uh, the area. And so that's like a lot of pollution. They're talking about how the alcohol distillery just dumps this brown liquid into the ocean. Um, And so there's all that industry. And then there's these large boats on the ocean. You can see them from the shore. Um, They're uh, large scale commercial uh, fishers. And they have like these big nets and they have sonar that can tell them where the fish are. And those people are overfishing to like, meet the demands of the market. And the local fisher folk who just have boats and nets in their hands, they can't keep up. They can't compete. Yeah. I remember 
we were told that before, like even in the eighties, because I know the fact the power plant was uh, put up in eighty four, the first one, right? Um, and then they were still saying that the fishing was strong in the nineties, where you could get just a few kilos each time. But there were some times where they came back with like two fishes, sometimes none during our trip. Remember that one time where the son came back into the house and was like, here's the catch when we were eating dinner with them. Yeah. There was like literally like three maybe. And they're small. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what they do catch is the delis, which is just the tiny, tiny small one, like anchovy. Is that anchovy? I don't know. But like in fishing, you're supposed to throw the small ones back, but Mm. they can't because that's all they can eat. Mm. And if they throw it back, they won't have food. So a rough rough situation one day the uh, family that I stayed with they caught um, enough to sell for like 160 pesos but that's three dollars right but that had to be split among six, six people yeah Bro, imagine <laughs> like to go and it's not easy work they have to go out in the morning like 4 a.m. and then throw out the net bring it in to the beach by la- by hand, yeah. right? And it's just again and again. Um, Clean the net, wrap the net, or, yeah. It's so a lot of work. Can you give me some context? Tell the world why you are here in the Philippines and why you visited specifically. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who don't know, both Christian and I are here for the Global Poverty Practice Planner. Hey, shout out. I used to go bears. Number one, that's public university in the world. <laughs> you gotta say that. You gotta say that, or else they'll, they'll get us. <laughs> if we don't, they'll be mad at us. We'll have a fine when we go back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we're doing the minor, which is basically where we take a couple classes where we learn about world poverty and global systems of capitalism and inequality, basically why poverty exists, um, what people have tried to do about it, why none of them have ever succeeded. And after we do all those classes, um, we're supposed to uh, volunteer some of our time to do a practice experience where we choose anywhere of our choice and any sector of our choice. my jam is like environmental justice and climate change. Um, so I really wanted to do environmental justice work somewhere. And the Philippines is, um, it, it's close to home because it's like where my mom is from, but also it's the third most at-risk country in the world for climate change mm-hmm. and natural disasters. How come? Um, How geographical location. And just like it's an island, it's like it's a bunch of islands. It's pretty near the equator, and like the, I don't know if this is accurate, but like the Typhoon Triangle, um, and the Philippines get hit by so many typhoons a year, and those are just typhoons. Um, in for for our class for the practice experience, we're supposed to do like research and. Uh, for Wikipedia, where you research about like your area and your sector, and I wrote so much about like uh, climate change in the Philippines and the environmental issues in the Philippines. Wikipedia article, 
Um, but it's just like, it's so scary, man. Like, uh, for example, the Philippines, 75% of the population is like farmers, mm -hmm. agricultural workers, and climate change is going to have a big ass impact on uh, the agricultural sector of the Philippines. Mm. Um, in many ways, like you have your your natural disasters like typhoons and stuff, which like obviously it's going to destroy like crops and things. But you have your slow slow onset events like global warming and the changing of weather patterns and also rain patterns that um, will affect the crop yield. Um, so with with like more temperature or like this further spaced out rain or too much rain even like you, you you start to see a declining in the crop yield um which obviously like people start like starving and they start like having less money um and there's also a scientific study that connects uh the changes in the weather pattern and crop yield with civil conflict um mm. so I think the study was done in Mindanao, but uh, the variations in the weather and the rain and stuff actually was linked to like the increases in civil conflict. Conflict because these farmers who are like already struggling, it's even more tension and stress, and they're angry and they're like worried about their families and they're probably starving too. Um, so. They join resistance movements, or they they like get in fight with their, their neighbors, and it, it's just like everything is so linked. Even the reminds me of the Kitapawan massacre. Um, it was a drought. I forgot what year, um, but just a recency in the last two or three years, where it was a place in Mindanao, I believe, um, Kitapawan, where the farmers lost all their crop and were. We even just rallying for uh, government support and the social services that should be going to the community, right? And then they were fired upon and a good number of the farmers died, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, I never thought of it that way in terms of the link with environmental issues that yeah. lead to, especially, makes sense, especially with the context that the majority of Filipinos are still in agriculture. How? And it goes beyond just farming, like, uh, Philippines is 7,136 islands, right? So there's a lot of, like, coastal population and, uh, lots of fisher folk, lots of, like, tourists, like, mm -hmm. the tourism industry, mm -hmm. like, a lots of jobs from there that depend on, uh, marine ecosystems and the coast and not even to think about, like, ocean ocean level rise, sea level rise, but uh, our coral reefs are dying, our fish are dying, and um, it's affecting like those ecosystems and all, thus those um, industries and businesses, and which will lead to more poverty and more just stress and trauma. So it's all, it's all linked. I can go on. But <laughs> How has it been? Okay, first I'm going to do a little background context. Alright, um, you said your mama is from here in the Philippines. Yes, uh, she is from Cebu. She's from Cebu. 
Your pops is from Taiwan. Um, you were born in America. In America, um, do you? What do you label yourself as? Uh, Asian American, Taiwanese American, American, Filipino American. If we're going to go into identity politics, ah, uh, that's interesting. Like, um, usually I take the time to explain to people when they ask, like, "What are you?" Um, I'll say my dad's from Taiwan and my mom's Chinese, but grew up in the Philippines, and then they both met in America, where they had me. Um, So there's like a very multicultural、um, like development for me, but also in like different、uh, different levels and doses. Like I feel obviously like the American culture is like the biggest、mm-hmm. and most like prominent in my life probably, but that's definitely shaped by being a child of immigrants and、uh, the Chinese culture and Filipino food.、Um, So, I was thinking about it. I was like, "Hmm, Chinese, Filipino, Taiwanese, American. <laughs> Chinese, Filipino, Taiwanese, American. Yeah,、oh. but you gotta hyphen the Chinese and Filipino. But Chinese, Filipino, Taiwanese, American. Yeah, Chinese, Filipino, Taiwan. And ta- wait, is Taiwanese American hyphenated? So it's two words." Two total words because, to, or is it all hyphenated? Chinese American hyphenated with Taiwanese hyphenated American. No, I I think that Chinese and Filipino are together. Chinese Filipino, and then Taiwanese is separate, and then American is like,、um, like Asian American, just like at the end. You're a mix. You're a mutt. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> you're like my pit bull mix. <laughs> yeah. It's been really interesting to think about since I've been here,、uh, because my cultural background is so unique、yeah. and so complicated,、um, and there's like a lot of thoughts about language in there too. What are your thoughts? What what has it been for you? This isn't your first time though in the Philippines. It's my first time living in the Philippines.、Oh. Every time I've been before, it's been as a tourist or as、uh, with my family. Um, and I don't think that's like it is accurate because it is like my family's life and like, yeah, yeah that's real and valid but it's also not the whole picture and I've been realizing that since I've been here that、uh, the Philippines is so diverse and there's so much like it's a very diverse country there's 130 languages just spoken in the country and. I mentioned earlier how many islands there are. There, are that many different cultures for each island, and it's just really crazy. So,、um, being able to like live outside of the context of my family in the Philippines has been really eye-opening for me to just like really explore the culture and see the differences because my family is Chinese Filipino and.、Um, So I've had a lot of interactions with like pure Filipinos, and it's interesting to see that like difference there. What do you see as a difference?、Um, lots of it. Lots of it has to do with like race and class,、um, in many different ways. Like there's,、uh, I see a lot of like 
interpret it how you will, but like racism uh, towards like Eastern Asians and like Chinese culture, like um, like I've been called Jackie Chan, like like Jackie Chan so many times. <laughs> like I look like Jackie Chan. You don't know. <laughs> like you look like a younger version, a way younger version. And I was just watching. <laughs> I was just watching the Tuxedo last night. Like one of the Jackie Chan really? movie, yeah, I can see it. I can I, see it. A lot of people have also told me that I really don't, and I don't think I do. <laughs> but um, like, there was this one girl I went to the province, and she she came up to me like a, six years old or like I don't know, eleven years old, and she was like, "You look you look like Jackie Chan," and then she was like, "Because your eyes are like this," <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> um, that's like one example. And then another time, also related to Jack and Chan, like their coworkers who were, um, <laughs> uh, were like just like imitating like the Chinese kung fu. <laughs> oh yeah, I was just like, oh man, like I don't know. It's not like I don't think it's malicious, but yeah. uh, it's still like problematic. Yeah. Um, and then even like with Chinese Filipinos, I feel like they. There's like a difference there where they tend to look down on Filipinos um, because of like social class and um, like often they don't want to like mix uh, and like for example when I came here to the Philippines actually scrapped that thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, censored, censored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For after, after the episode. <laughs> 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 Subscribe, pay five ninety nine for the bonus material. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you though, um, especially in terms of like having a different perspective growing up in the U.S. and then kind of not being raised in a certain type of culture here. That everything that probably everything you just said is just normal. It's just that's the way it is. But then now coming from an outside looking in, it's like, oh, that's that's I, I don't know if that's good. This might be problematic in this way, or whether it's from uh, elitist perspective, from the ones that because arguably Chinese Filipinos have on the whole better social economic standing. Um, than others in terms of like what you're saying, like the full Filipino or somebody who's is of like darker skin like that, um, or like the indigenous folks like that as a whole. But it is interesting though because it's like not necessarily a a bad thing if you think of like maybe well you can argue Chinese Chinese the Chinese never colonized the Philippines, right? It's not like they they came here. The Philippines had a large trading history already with China before Spanish colonization, even with the and the other islands in the area, right? Indonesia and the yeah. Muslim communities. So it is a di- interesting um, discussion, though, about also how you pointed out that there is kind of that culture of not mixing um, with yeah. certain families, right? And like keeping it as Chinese for bit and like I, and it was weird as I kind of get some positive feedback when people find out 
I have some Chinese. They're like, oh, you have some Chinese? Yeah, you're not full Filipino. Like that was in my eyes. I have the same thing. But no one's ever called me Jackie Chan. <laughs> I think my eyes are even more slanted than yours. Um, especially with the hair. hair. The huh? hair. The hair. The hair. Yeah, it's probably your hair. And the glasses, mm. I think. But as somebody who has now like seen that and stuff, what are your thoughts in terms of like coming from the U.S. and then seeing these things as a Chinese, Filipino, Taiwanese American. It's really interesting. Um, there's so many ways I could take this right now. Yeah. Um, but I think that a big thing is language, obviously, because I don't, I can't speak Tagalog, and I've been learning very slowly. But it's just. You know, living in a different country where you can't understand anyone is, it's like very hard and very, um, very eye-opening because when you can't focus on content, you have to look at other things like, um, like body language, facial gestures, tone, rate, pitch, stuff like that. Um, and also, I mean, Filipinos do, they use a lot of English words and they, do, most of them do speak English, so like that's how I've been surviving. But um, it's just interesting. You're you're supposed to like look at it from a different uh, perspective, and just I definitely have like lots of thoughts about like the culture because I think like the the Tagalog language is very friendly, very sociable, and it's like there's a lot of banter in it and. Um, I think it's been like really interesting to see like and live in this culture um, here in the Philippines, um, and then given the context of like our being here, being in global poverty practice, like um, it's so uncomfortable. What are you saying? Because we're learning about and seeing people who have nothing and just I feel like having to like live with the privilege that I'm here like I have and, um, like I'm so privileged and this being here in the Philippines has really makes you like own up to a lot of it and like look it straight in the eye and just realize where you come from you know uh, which has been and very uncomfortable and very challenging um, because, uh, you know, as an activist, as a, someone who cares a lot about social and environmental justice, like, I really care about like, these issues, but I also can't, like, you know, my, the privilege I have is just something I'll always have. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've been having a good time in the Philippines, and I think of that slogan, it's more fun in the Philippines, <laughs> right? And, which is so problematic. I hate that slogan. Because it's just like, you're flaunting your privilege, because it's like, cheaper, cheaper here. Um, but, 
just thinking about like the things, the way I've been living here and the way that I live back home, it just really makes you think about it and consider like, wow, like, like what do I do with like that knowledge of like that lifestyle, those things, those privileges are all at the expense of like the rest of the world. Mm. Mm. And just like, what do you do with that? And it's been something I've been thinking about a lot uh, since being here. What have you gotten out of in terms of what to do now? Right now that you have this certain perspective of your privilege and seeing the the difference. Because I've had to confront that too. Like there are times where I was like, what the fuck? I was just born into a good family, right? And then when we do these community trips, like there's no choice for any of these kids to be in an area where there's no support, where their parents have not finished high school, where their parents are struggling to make, what, a hundred pesos a day, two hundred, hopefully for four dollars when I can go buy that meal easily, right? Buy food out here, like be in a nice air conditioned spot like this. Yeah. What have you, where, what do you do now? Ah, uh, I think it's, it tells me a lot and it helps me understand the world like a lot more. Um, being living in the capitalistic society that we have, like before it's just like, like what could you possibly need with that much money? Like the, the world's richest people. And I think that like, like, yes, there's greed for sure, but also like comfort in space and like things like AC. Um, those are like all luxuries that people don't have. Um, that, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're just like, ah, oh, man, I just really want AC right now. And, uh, <laughs> and like, I, <laughs> sometimes you don't want to give it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, when you realize and know that you have all this privilege, I don't think it's a, like effective to like give it all up or like relate, like relinquish all of it. Because, I mean, obviously you can't get rid of the past or change the past. Um, so I, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't have the answer. Mm -hmm. um, because when, like... Maybe not for everybody, right? Like, this is not what you do, this is a step-by-step. -step. But how do you think it's affected or going to affect the way that you live or perspective or even career path or what how is this experience and like this realization of privilege in a sense affected you mm -hmm. yeah I've been thinking about that because I'm leaving the Philippines pretty soon I'm going back to my real life <laughs> which is <laughs> which is like interesting to think about what I'll do with that because um, I'll be going back to like America, California, where I live like a really blessed life and just thinking about everything I've learned and experienced and felt and thought, like 
I've been trying to think about what to do and what changes I'll make in my life. Um, still figuring that out. Still thinking about it. I think I'll be very grateful whenever I have like seafood. <laughs> Maybe I, I actually won't have seafood anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about like the ways people can help, like so, like socially, um, like being in, like an environmentalist or eating healthier locally. Like those things are also like classes, sort of like at times. Like the access to eat healthier or yeah. eat like cleaner, quote unquote. It's not available in those food deserts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what, what what I'm thinking is that like with all this like realizations that I've had in the Philippines and before that, like the answer is not to you know step down to like where they are where people in like abject poverty are it's to do everything you can with that privilege to bring them to where you are and that's um, the concept of sustainable sustainable development and um, you know we live in a world with finite resources and there's a lot of people on this planet so we need to think about our society and how we move that society forward in a way that um, prioritizes people, prioritizes the environment, and also allows for like economic growth and stuff. Like that's what we call the triple bottom line. Um, but we have to recognize that like our we're in a we're in a real crisis right now. Um, environmentally because of climate change and uh, developed countries like US, the European Union and Japan, for example, they have to realize the responsibility they have in creating this crisis from uh, historic uh, CO2 emissions um, and because they developed, right? that development to get where these societies are, where they are today, release so much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, it caused a lot of environmental degradation, and we need to now, like, respect, or, like, respect the fact that we did that, we've hurt the environment, and there's people who are poor now um, in the global south, in developing countries that didn't get the chance to like develop and are now being told, oh, like you can't develop because there's a crisis, the climate crisis. But like, no, um, we need to protect and safeguard the right to sustainable development and um, allow these people to, you know, come out of poverty, come out of development, and we need to think about how to do that sustainably there's a lot there <laughs> there's a lot but when I, uh, after all the GPP classes though whenever people would talk about sustainability there's always like a dirt it's a dirty word now because of how it has been co-opted a lot by mm-hmm. right, our analysis of like philanthropy 
and things that have been historically the um, what has been marketed as the good thing to do, right? Then eventually gets co-opted by large institutions such as like the World Bank with their sustainable development goals. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I understand the heart and context of sustainable development. Even me, I've always wanted, even before GP, I was like, I want to enter something sustainable in terms of the community work and um, even business-wise, right? Like where it does not exploit but then there's this, like, there's that, that phrase, right? There's no ethical consumption within capitalism, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so there's the thing. Um, quick breakdown, like, we live in a world, planet, our beloved planet Earth, that has finite resources that have, like, accumulated over million, hundred millions of years, and billions of years, and... Um, so it's limited. Like that took a lot of time and energy to grow and to like get there in the first place. And capitalism is a it's based on a model of infinite growth and um, and also profit. So we need to think about how we can create like a society that <laughs> a society that um, isn't based on infinite growth, that can um, replenish itself, that isn't based on, focused on like consumerism, material, materialism, um, because infinite growth is not, isn't just not sustainable. And um, we need to think about how to get out of that. Share anti-capitalism. <laughs> uh, I think there are a lot of flaws with the system <laughs> that hurt a lot of people. It does, but like, how do you get out of it? How do you actually shift a whole world? Mm -hmm. If that's like the dominant thing, and that's like the dominant socialization pattern, like of consumerism, of consumption. Yeah. And it's just like different levels of that. And you can have you can have like one or two businesses that kind kind of shift it little by little, but it's it's little by little, right? Like even the beautiful co-ops, co-op groceries where they end up owning the workers have equity and are the actual one decision makers in it, where it's not shareholders that benefit off labor, right? Of people, but still those are out of how many targets? Right? How many Walmarts out yeah. there? Right? It's really, really daunting and depressing. Um, especially like, you know, not only seeing abject poverty, um, but my field and like, my knowledge of like the climate crisis and what is, could potentially, very potentially happen if we don't do something about it. It's very hard to, you know, stay positive and to like think that like oh, we'll we'll actually make out of this, we'll make it out of this, right? Um, but you know, another thing that I've seen is that people are so resilient and so uh, creative, um, but we also need we need more than resilience and creativity and. Uh, 
like I don't I don't have the answers to like how we'll eat, beat it, and then also uh, protect our planet from climate change. But we just gotta like keep hoping and mm. keep never like we can't give up because if we do then that'd be really bad. But <laughs> Um, it's just, it's a lot of weight to carry because I'm always thinking about like environmentalism and also social issues and how, um, how do you get into environmentalism? It's interesting because I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I care for an environment, but do you have another like lens that you're looking the world through in terms of uh how it's all environmentalism? Uh, at least the way that you've been analyzing things, especially when we head out, when we were out in Batangas, right? A lot of your uh, perspective has been more so on the environmental impacts and the contributing factors. It's very interesting to actually yeah. be on that trip with you because I have a different perspective. Like when I analyze things, it's also, it's more so on like who are the organizing groups here, who's making money, who are the political powers mm -hmm. at play. I rarely think on that um, environmental tip. So it was very interesting. How come, how do you get into environmental Yeah, so, um, uh, when I was younger, I had the privilege to uh, be in, like, a well-off family. Where did you grow up? Uh, Cupertino. Cupertino. Yeah, Bay Area. Go Bay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I was able to join the Boy Scouts. Um, mm. And I was a Boy Scout and I was... You got all the patches? Yeah, the Eagle Scout. So wait, when an Eagle Scout, that means you've graduated from Boy Scout? Uh, not graduate. You graduate when you're 18, but Eagle Scout is the highest rank you can get. Oh, and Boy Scout. Yeah. Oh. So... Um, yeah, I, when I was younger, I spent a lot of time outdoors and hiking, backpacking, um, seeing really beautiful wonders. And in Boy Scouts, they they like teach you about like sustainability and leave no trace principles that um, make you like an environmentalist and like a conservationist, right? Which is you know, it's different than like what I'll get to. Like it's like saving our trees and our planet and stuff like that and keeping trash off the ground, right? Um, so that got me into environmentalism and then in high school I really got started getting into like social justice issues. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, Cupertino High School. <laughs> um, and started getting into social justice issues like police brutality, gender equality, and uh, things like that because there are a lot of social issues there, and my sister was, like, um, definitely inspired me to, um, like, learn about them and talk about those issues. And then when I got to Berkeley, uh... Go Bears. Go Bears. <laughs> <laughs> I... I sort of learned about the combination of the two. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically through, uh, a group I joined called the Students of Color Environmental Collective. Shout out! I love Club Rush. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, uh, in college, I learned about the concept of environmental justice and how the 
issues of in, like the environment and climate change and um, like trash stuff like that that you can ice like you think it's just like nature and like uh, the world I guess animals they have a really big impact on marginalized communities mm -hmm. and often those issues um, people of color poor people are generally the most most impacted by these issues so uh, yes I think about everything and how it affects like our world and our environment but also um, like social justice issues and environmental issues they're one and the same and um, like human rights is like an essential part to to climate justice and solving the climate crisis um, so yeah and that's why you decided to do like GPP in terms of environmentalism and being coming back to the Philippines uh, GPP I, I just always wanted to like make a difference and like help people and um, were your parents like activists or philanthropic and their things like that no they're they're not activists or you know not activists necessarily but like the day in part that i want to help people time mentality because for example my mom's not an activist but then she was very religious mm -hmm. so she wanted one would do like medical missions and help mm -hmm. others like that like where did you get your like oh, i don't want to help others in that sense I don't quite know. Um, my mom is very religious as well, and I grew up in the church, uh, Church of the Nazarene, and a lot of my Christian values of like helping people and being moral definitely shaped me at a, at a younger age. But I think I've always been like an, a pretty ambitious person, and also um, just like a really caring person. I feel. So I've just always wanted to like make a big difference and help others, especially more and more so now that like I am realizing, acknowledging my privilege and I want to use that privilege to do something good and to help people. Um, my sis, my eldest sister has been like a pretty big influence on my like my development and um, what I care about. Like at first, when I was younger, it was like the books I was reading, the media I was consuming, and then now um, a lot of, I like really respect and appreciate her opinions on things and mm. like to know what she thinks about certain issues. Um, so yeah, I think that definitely had a big impact. Like for me, sometimes like I, I kind of bring home the topics that I get into, whether it be like inequality or whatever, or even analysis of media. And then I bring it to my mama. And then for the most part though, she's like, okay, enough, enough, enough. <laughs> I'm just trying to watch TV. <laughs> like, but it's interesting how over time, like she's engaged, especially in terms of even talking more about police brutality and being open and aware of like, look at what's happening um, in the US and especially when things pop off on the news. Like, and it is kind of sad sometimes where she would like honestly warn me about like 
going or dressing a certain way because that could make me look a certain way to police or to people in in uh, power positions where like even my sister honestly after the whole every even Trayvon Martin and one case after another she's like dude do not go out at night with your sweater like that why are you running out because I'll just jog with my dog uh-huh. right she's like Christian <laughs> why yeah. are you running with your sweater your hoodie of all things right and I'm like I'm with my dog it's fine it's fine <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah the reality is I look dark and then they see that and my sister is honestly worried about that so yeah it's kind of yeah it kind of sucks <laughs> but what's interesting at least for me is explaining the dynamics of race to people here in the philippines when they ask how the u.s is yeah the u.s is so interesting like uh when my coworkers asked me about like if i've ever experienced racism in, in america and to answer that question my, my brain was turning i was like there's so much context i need to give first um to answer the question, like, I've been really lucky in that I haven't experienced a lot of, like, racism because I grew up somewhere that was, like, predominantly Asian and I was, of, like, middle, upper middle class. So, um, I've been lucky, but yeah. I, I, there's so many people who aren't. Yeah. And thinking about America is so unique because it's the only country with whiteness. Um, or, like like capital whiteness TM like TM yeah <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that How, what do you mean yeah so with the trademark it, and yeah 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 and um so obviously like anti-blackness is a thing everywhere right colorism colorism yeah. that's a thing everywhere but definitely here in the Philippines yeah. shout out they should trademark it Philippines has definitely mastered colorism. Yeah. And, well, that plays a role in, like, America's racism. It's it's also different because um, you have the whole concept of white supremacy and the legacy of slavery and just, like, you know, manifest destiny and... No, bro, that was hundreds of years ago already, bro. It's still going on today, and it's worse now with like with Trump as president and making America great again. You you see the number of violent racist acts um, or xenophobic acts that are happening are increasing, especially under um, President Trump, and it's scary. Um, and you have that whole dynamic of like super super nationalistic and also like white supremacy vibes and also thinking about how the different races and um, the the white black binary and how Asians fit into that spectrum Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how like Latino people fit into that spectrum and it's really interesting to just like lay that out for people because I've noticed here that like there's still racism but it's different it's you know um, than in America yeah I think here it's like more so 
classism mixed with the standards of colorism because the lighter skin uh, is associated with class. Um, yeah. And, well, I mean, historically, they are, of course, like the richer ones. I mean, mm-hmm. the Spanish colonizers, the American, like that. I agree with that. Like, it definitely, it's, it's more about class here, especially because majority of the population is Filipino. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, which it's it, you know it's still very very diverse but like um, you see the social classes of different Filipino groups um, which is in America it's definitely more race and class are very intertwined um, and it's so obvious bro I tweeted about this about how whenever I speak English here I get better treatment Whenever I like dress a little bit nicer, like and speak English, like they'll oh sir, right? Um, or even some uh, women will talk to me a little bit more interested, like oh, like a little bit find me more attractive, and rather than if I try to speak more Tagalog. It's obvious though when I speak the Gala. <laughs> but if I get a certain tone and I can slide by, no one really like um, cares or will treat me just like, oh, no, will be even stricter with me. Sometimes like the, the, the security guards and things will be strict. No, you're not allowed to go in here. No, don't do that. But if I speak English and it's like, hey, am I allowed to, to can I extend my time here? Things like that. I get a little bit better service. And it's interesting to see how many people resonated with that experience. It's not just me. It is a universal, not universal, I would say, but a lot of other, especially Filipino Americans, experience that and has seen that difference. Yeah. And you have even have people living in the heart of Manila. Mm-hmm. Parents who are raising their kids to speak only English. Yep. yep. And there are kids who were born and raised in Manila who don't know Tagalog, and... I'll be straight up, I'm calling out my brother, bro. Let's teach my fucking nephew some Tagalog, man. <laughs> like, I've been I've been on it, even, even if my Tagalog's messed up, I'm at home, I'm telling my nephew, hey, what languages do you need to know? He's like, English, the Filipino, like that. And I'm making sure he knows that you gotta learn Filipino, because they speak to him in, in English. But I understand why. Right, yeah. especially being here in the Philippines, you understand why because of the better treatment that you get, because of the way that you are looked at when you can speak English here. Yeah, remember when we were on the bus and that girl was having the phone interview? Yes, and she was speaking in like an in- English voice, yes, or her like professional voice, yes. And then, even if both parties understand Tagalog, right, because sometimes she'd slip up and she'd be like, ah, I don't really understand. Uh, I can't, she didn't know how to say it in English, so she just went into Tagalog and then would return into English just because that's the professional language. Yeah, yeah. in right. my work office, like all of our meetings, we just had a like a whole office meeting today and it was all in English. Um, and like just like the social interactions are in Tagalog. Um, but yeah, it's it reminds me of this video I watched the other day where it's about like it was like a video about black Americans um, who have a white voice. Mm. They, they mm-hmm. talk white mm-hmm. on the phone or in during business settings and they get treated better. Or they, um, let's say they're applying for a house 
people who talk, talked away got more responses, got um, better like approval or like perception if they talked in like uh, African American vernacular, right? So it, it's a similar kind of deal mm-hmm. here, where but it's just like a completely different language. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even with names, that's why my name looks really good on paper, Christian Joshua. But then they go to Guerrero, they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, oh, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> like, what was he? <laughs> and then I arrive looking like this, with slanted eyes. <laughs> it is, it is a church. And even all the damn, it really annoys me. So many years, every year I come back, nothing has changed. All the whitening advertisements on TV, on the billboards, right here in QC, yeah. right by the MRT, walking from, what was that, uh, what did we get off Kaiser Ave, I think, um, to the PSET office, it's just rows of billboards, snow caps, whitening, pills, the glutathione, right, which was initially made for, to help like liver toxicity or something, but they found out that it lightens your skin and they just sold it as lightening yeah. pills. And now it's fucking popular. You can buy it right downstairs at Mercury Drug, no prescription, just to get your skin lighter. Because it's terrible. It's fucking yeah. It's it's kind of it's annoying. It's <laughs> it's sad because not only not only like economically and like socially in class, but like just like the whole concept of European beauty standard. Mm-hmm. It's so damaging damaging to like people who just don't fit in mm-hmm. to that standard because you know they're like like Filipino or like they're a different race and they don't have like a flat nose and they don't have blonde hair and blue eyes and stuff like that and it's it's like to think that they're not pretty because they don't look a certain way that's like glorified by the media it's so damaging and it, le- it can lead to um like eating disorders mm-hmm. or like plastic surgery and it's just really sad it's very damaging to individual psyche and i really believe the collective psyche yeah. of the culture of the people like there is something very damaging about that especially if we don't address it if we don't talk about it if we don't really try to change that and just accept it because i've seen like on a this sounds judgy and it is kind of judgy, but it's a lot of observation. I've seen people that definitely look like me in the terms of the facial structure is definitely not European. You can tell it looks very Filipino facial structure, but has very already lightened skin from, you can tell by products. Like it does not match the facial features of somebody who is that light skin. And you can see layers of makeup mm-hmm. and and it's just, and now there's even marketed for, for men, whitening, um, deodorant. <laughs> My killer killer bro, I, need, yeah, I want to lighten this? Yeah, I'm gonna buy whitening deodorant? <laughs> and people do buy it, yeah. right? How, how messed up is that? And then what I noticed is that personally, aesthetically, when I'm in the US, I love the darker skin aesthetic. Right. But when I'm here, sometimes it's like the collective psyche starts working on me that I also start being attracted to these 
these Filipinas, these people who look like the marketed beauty in terms of the lighter skin, yeah. the like Spanish features or the more like the half, the half mixed features. I'm like, wait, but, and I would be looking at them more, but I'm like, wait, but this isn't really only what I'm into, into and this isn't what I'm, uh, I'm attracted to when I'm back home in the community with my, with like a lot of Filipino Americans, right? The look of a lot of Filipino Americans, I love their darker skin and like hit that bass swag with them hoop earrings and, <laughs> <laughs> um, and shout out and <laughs> cut that. <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks. Um, but here, right, there are certain standards of how you're supposed to look. And a lot of it is based on the history of Spanish and American colonization. And it's, it's super, so, so disappointing, but I think there are ways to change it, especially socially. Like, if we're going to be talking, there's been some movements of like Magandang Moren X, like the hashtag of this lady who's like trying to promote more Moreno, Moreno, Moren X in that sense. Um, and there are some though, there are some who are proud of just being the dark, but those are rare. And what sucks is that I've been to the um, to the province, to an Aita community, and some of the kids with their beautiful curly hair, dark skin, right? They were like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like being balatko on my skin. They don't like it. It reaches them just because of yeah. TV, just because of like radio. That's mm -hmm. Yeah, I also went to the Aita's community. Oh, yeah, you did? Yeah. Yeah. Where, tell me, tell me, what is your trip? Where did you go? Uh, we went to Manivela's Pataan uh, with Adventuro, <laughs> um, which is like a... Adventuro. 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 Yeah, it's like a teach and also tour. It's like a um, voluntourism mm -hmm. organization. Voluntourism. Which is like problematic. <laughs> for sure. I definitely was very aware of that. <laughs> we, trip. we need a pop tag for every development. Um, kind of thing that is problematic, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, just, it, it was problematic, but yeah, I still but went on the trip yeah, to, yeah. like, yeah. experience and, like, like, learn, you know? Um, but, uh, when we went to, we did an event for, like, the Aitis children, and, um, there were people in our group, they, like, uh, they really, the kids really like the, sh like, straight hair. You know, um, and they're like, they're so interested and engaged, and like they thought I was better than like their own hair. You know, mm. that was cur more curly, mm. and it's just you know, it's sad. Like all, every everyone is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So that trip was interesting. It. it for me, because it was like uncomfortable, because it was like in a voluntourism setting, which I knew was very like problematic, and like, and also like I couldn't really interact with the kids because I don't know Tagalog, but it was still like a good experience, and I'm glad I went. Um, I did the, the boodle fight for the first time, <laughs> like a Mayan, yeah, yeah, with the yeah. banana leaves, yeah, 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 that was that was really cool. 
how has it been in the sense of like more so going on the community immersion in comparison to like tourism and family in that sense because for me i would just do like framework share like definitely before 2015 or so i've only been exposed to like makati life where yes the philippines it is dope oh, because everything's cheap <laughs> i can buy clothes i can drink hella cheap and have fun right until i realized okay it's only cheap for me yeah right? it's only cheap for my family because of our access to it whether because my the jobs my parents have would be able to support me middle class upper middle class in that sense right and how has it been for you in terms of seeing that difference of um, class and realizing that you are of that more privileged class while at the same time visiting communities that are way fucking down yeah so for all of you um, we're here in Metro Manila uh, like the capital of the Philippines and it's where like where the jobs and the money in the Philippines are um, but the minimum wage in the Phil in Manila specifically Manila is about five twenty five sixteen five hundred pesos five hundred let's round it yeah five that's ten dollars a day ten dollars a day um, minimum wage just it just hit 15 in California an hour and if you think about that like ten dollars a day if I tried to like live on ten dollars a day here I, I don't know definitely not with the way I've been living here <laughs> I could not do that for sure um, and which which I've been thinking about I was like oh like there's my privilege, there's my access to capital, and um, because I have money, I, I have access to like a Grab, like the Uber of the Philippines. Um, <laughs> or like, I like, I'm mobile because I have money. I can go to events because I have money. I can um, like, eat a lot of food and be full because I have money. And, I think and just so for context right when you say you have money it's not like you're rich in the US I'm this is like not. middle class like if you're middle class in the US you could definitely do all that in terms of the worth of the money here right just for context right yeah right. for sure yeah um, definitely yeah poverty in America is still a real thing yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's actually something like Filipinos don't comprehend like all the time. They think America is the promised mm -hmm, land. Mm -hmm. They think that if you make it to America, you're you're saved. And uh, which you know it is true. In there's a lot of privilege. Like uh, like there are stories of immigrants, migrants who go to America or go to like other places to get work, um, and they really can help their families. Um, actually, like. Uh, what is it like 30% of the country? 10, 10 I think. 10% of Filipinos are working as OFWs. No, no, no. The statistic I was looking for is like, I don't even know, like 40% of the country's income is like from overseas workers, mm -hmm. like sending money back, mm -hmm. um, which is wild. 
And so, yeah, definitely like poverty still exists, it's just on a different relative scale because America has developed. Relative poverty, absolute <laughs> poverty, GPP. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, yeah. So, thanks for, thanks for that clarification. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I've been here. Um, and it's just been so different, like, when I've been, like, in the Philippines with my family, because I'm, like you said, like, you only stayed in, like, Makati, which is a nice area. Um, I've only, whenever I go to the Philippines, it's in a vacation context, so my family's like, oh, we'll take you to the nice places, we'll show you how great the Philippines is, Mm -hmm. and why it's attractive and great, but when you come to the Philippines as a tourist, you don't, you often, unless you're like searching and like looking out for it, like we are on our GDP trip, like you're not going to see it or you might see it, but you might not experience it. You know, might not like actually talk or interact with the people who are in poverty. Like you might drive by the, the squatters and the slums, but, um, you, I would say, you might not see the relationship between poverty and you as a tourist, as a consumer, as a person benefiting and experiencing a good life, right? You don't see the relationship in terms of the wage disparity and that's why everything is cheaper. That's why I can't eat in restaurants where it's hella cheap because it's not like they're paying farmers that much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I def definitely because you'll definitely see it as like street kids, especially in Manila or people in poverty. But you probably don't get the analysis or the the context of how it's exacerbated by maybe trade agreements, just like when we studied at World Bank or where where the money is going or the or realizing how much foreign investment controls large corporations here of the mining companies or factories, things like that. McDonald's, McDonald's, KFC. Yeah. Damn, bro. There's so many nice looking KFCs here. In yeah, the Philippines. Uh, <laughs> what is it called? Um, not cultural capitalism. It, maybe it's cultural it, capitalism. I think it's cultural capitalism. Uh, but yeah, it's like one time, like right after GDP went to Fijian, I was like sitting in this Wendy's and I was like, wow, this is cultural capitalism where they make the, the fast food chain homey, friendly, yeah. Yeah. and very, very nice. Like yeah. um, when we went to Pataan, Marivel's Pataan, or some of the other provinces, the nicest buildings are the Jollibee's or the McDonald's or the fast food chains like excessively nice, absurdly nice, you know? And it's just a blatant example of how these corporations are trying to keep themselves and stay relevant. Mm. Um, And they are, you know, it's working. And I would add an additional analysis where it's American brands that are hyper glorified and they make it look so much nice. Because for example, a Starbucks in the US is just a Starbucks, right? Oh, it's a Starbucks. Right, a Starbucks here is like wow. It's an American um, coffee shop, and look how nice the modern interior is. That's why I'm like, bro, 
the design of Starbucks here, some of the shops, look like fancy-ass cafes, and you don't see that in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Barely have nice-ass Starbucks there. It's only like the the nice fills or like a nice like um um independent coffee shop that will have the new modern design. But here, a lot of the Starbucks are like that new modern yeah. design wood, like that. You can see like and you can see why because. These corporations who already have so much money from just being in America, all that money they can bring it to uh, developing countries, poorer countries, where that money goes a long way. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and they can they can buy really big, like three story uh, McDonald's that are like fully furnished, gorgeous looking inside, <laughs> yeah. and because they have money and because it's cheaper here, and it's just so problematic. <laughs> this is the problematic complaint episode. <laughs> Social issues. Social issues. Those are, honestly, those are how like all my conversations end up happening. Like, really? It's like what I think about all the time, and yeah, I like talking about issues. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. And I like people who can also talk about issues with me. You yeah, know? yeah. Um. So yeah, it's just I end up getting really my my conversations all like get to a really sad point. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. okay. For for us to stay sane, we have to like do something. About it. We have to do something about it, but also sometimes there's like we just have to ignore it right now. We have to, you know, in the activist realm, mental health is like very very a big deal mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the weight of the world's problems and just like feelings of guilt from your privilege and stuff mm. like that, like. I find myself like sometimes consumed by just how like, st- like stressful and how like overwhelming it all is. You know? mm, mm. There's so much wrong with the world that it's hard to see hope and see like be happy. You know, um, it's like sometimes I like don't let myself be happy or be comfortable because I know that everyone else in the world has it so so much worse. And like, like, let's say I'm like enjoying a meal. It's like, oh, I can't enjoy this meal because you know so many people are exploited making it, right? I mean, it's it's not like that all the time, but sometimes like it gets really hard. So I think it's an issue that like we need to talk about more, and like especially people who are activists and like who you know, deal with that. And especially in America where the culture is very individualistic and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like there's not a lot of like community support. Yeah. Community spaces, you know. Um, that's been something I've also been thinking about like the American activists or like the privileged activists. I don't know. Um, because, you know, that other, other conversation we had, most of the activists in the world are the people experiencing the the effects of poverty or environmental degradation and they do activism because they have to. Mm-hmm. They have to keep to their survive. children alive, they have to survive and protect their families. But like what we're talking about, like people who are will lead privileged lives and who choose to go into social like activism and welfare and stuff, like they don't have to. Like I can 
you know, choose a different job, but like, I don't know. It's been something I've been thinking. I like, remember that conversation about uh, burnout? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of activists experience burnout, especially because of that, that whole mentality of all the weight of the world on your shoulders, like you gotta do something about it. Um, and I think it's, that's unhealthy, but I don't think it's a bad thing to feel that empathy, right? That like, it forces you to like, all right, really think, what can I do now, right? Yeah. And, but then, then it becomes a question of how can you do something then that's effective, efficient, and healthy Sustainable. <laughs> Actually, uh, I developed this thing, sustainable activism. <laughs> self-care. And yeah, exactly. It is it's a certain amount of self-care that's needed. And man, we, I've even met folks who were like the director of the org that I'm at, or not director, or coordinator, one of them, like took a step back uh, like a year or two ago and had transitioned out and it took a year off or something. And then it's going to enter another org like that now, like coming back. So there are those times where, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot of heavy emotional um, stress, especially when you're directly observing or even experiencing the shit that's really just fucked up, especially when it's system, systematically like imposed on you, whether it's through law, corporations and hold your land and with alongside the the support of military or state power things like that yeah it can get very scary too right it's scary especially in countries like the philippines where a lot of activists are being murdered for being terrorists or like enemies of the state and i think that that says a lot like activists hold a lot of weight you know and that is exhausting and definitely leads to burnout. Mm. And when we talk, when we talk about climate justice and social movements, like real change can only happen through the community, through um, community organizing, and through the through the masses. You know, um, so like it's good that there are people who really care a lot. But we need everybody who who are, who are privileged and who live in developed worlds to care a little more and do something about it together, you know? Mm -hmm. To collectively make a big difference to help people. I really believe um, that, especially here in the Philippines, some more of the privileged folks really have their needs. And change necessitates alliance with a certain amount of the privileged folks and to actually confront their own privilege, like their own social ways of like, do you know the word social? Yeah, you taught me. Ugh. It's, 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 it's the grossest thing and the grossest culture and to also think I'm social in certain ways and I exhibit those things. Even look at the way I'm dressed, like this little button down <laughs> and I have a car to drive, I can eat at nice places in Makati. <laughs> Right? That's yeah. just so shallow. Right? But, bro, let me share with you. I just heard a story of like, this is some so shallow shit where this fool easily drives to like, the I tie on the weekend? Like, let's go eat and just to come, just to eat at a certain place in Tagaytay and then come back 
And then this fool had like 30 cars here in the Philippines. Damn. They would just get rid of it because I'm tired of it. Bruh! Oh my god. While on the other hand, you have, and let's bring it back to that minimum wage 500 pesos. That's only here in region one in Metro Manila. Yeah. You it's go out to the other lower. regions. Much lower. Like Tell them about the rice, the rice mill worker. Oh. Oh, I guess they already know, they follow you. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. So I just came back right from uh, Bandi, Bulacan, and in that Bulacan area, there's a rice mill workers. Bro, 24 hour shifts, some of them. 24 hour shifts! Okay, for those carrying bags on their head and stuff, mm -hmm. and palai, they can, they can get paid from like one peso to two peso a bag. Right? Fucking 50 kilograms on your head, one peso. Bro, that's yeah. two cents, right? And then they'll work for two hours loading the rice mill. So from the harvest crop to actually turn it into bigas, the rice. And then they'll rest for two hours, work for two hours, rest for two hours. Cause it fills up, right? The mill fills up, then it has to process and go back down. They do that for 24 hours and they'll make, they'll make some, the, on the best days, they said like 700 pesos a day. That's not, that's like five, uh, that's like $14 like that. $14 yeah. to be working a 24 hour shift. Then you have the operator, the guy oh, actually running the rice mill operator. Wait, okay. that's $14. Yeah, 700. Yeah. You have the guy running the rice mill machine. He works for 24 hours straight, no sleep. Of course, he makes more money. Like maybe 20 or 30 dollars in a day right but that's a thousand pesos right sounds really good right but 24 hours and imagine that's not every working day with large machinery large machinery and he'll only have some of those folks yeah they'll make 700 pesos a day that sounds more than minimum wage but they'll they won't have work for like two or three days because that's just the the like the timing of the crop and everything. So imagine that you're putting your body on the line. People, they don't have health care, right? No. There's, there's none of health care. No, no health care. <laughs> what the fuck is that? For two pesos a bag, they're not getting health care for that. And it's not in the law to, to that requires, there's no work, work laws, labor laws that protect majority of the Filipinos yeah. here, right? Um, Compare that to the some fool who can buy 30 plus cars, right? Bro, that, that's another oh level of yeah. consumerism, bro. Like, oh my God. And that's Sochalan. Those are people who are like probably related to politicians, family of politicians, business owners, or um, artistas, right? Those in the media. And I'm not saying that everyone who is upper class is like that. But from my partying days when I was social and gone, you know, shit, a lot of people are like that, right? And I wanted to exhibit those type of things before, right? To go out clubbing and look fresh with a look at my car and speak English like that. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's so disappointing, especially when you have abject poverty right in front of you. And you, you'll have people like giving 20 peso tip when they spend thousands on food just because oh, that's good for them. When they can, well, they can definitely afford to throw like a hundred pesos, two dollars, yeah. and that's a big deal for, for tip, right? It's because it's so socialized, like the difference in terms of class. I think that's what 
we have to be also clear about in terms of like the way that the upper class looks at the lower class is so disappointing in terms of like very elitist very and i've seen it in my own family to be transparent like even my family would sometimes say about some work oh they're just lazy right or like late they're always late bro have you tried to commute <laughs> like, you have a you, motherfucking Have you car. never had your own personal driver? <laughs> oh my god. Like, have you ridden the MRT? You've never. You are. Maybe you've tried once. You don't ride the Jeep. You don't. I have folks like out in Pasig, I, was, I had to commute the other day, and then even at 10 30, it was so full. Like on the main Shaw Boulevard, people were making Sabbat hanging off the edge, uh, end of the Jeep mm-hmm. still. Right, ten thirty p.m. coming yeah. home, like that, and you just have that whole demographic of conio social English-speaking people with not millennials <laughs> and their parents, right, who go to nice places and afford can buy book, can live very American lives. That's what I always equate it to. Like, bro, if you have a certain amount of money, you can definitely have a U.S. aesthetic Instagram, like. <laughs> Living here in Makati and in the fort, Alabang, uh, certain places where it's more well off, right? And it's kind of crazy. And I wish though, more, there has to be like that solidarity from those who are privileged, upper class, Mm -hmm. to to find ways to serve the, the people, the lower class or those on the lower social economic ladder and be a little bit more um humble yeah. in that sense right that's why i do appreciate when you talk about all right uh, trying to assess your own privilege and see how you can deserve that if more people are like that i think it could actually do good right i think that's where some of the hope is yeah that's why Another interesting thing about uh, the Philippines, like all of the college students, they have to do an OJT or an internship, like for most majors, um, during their senior year. And they like, we met people who like spent six weeks in like the province doing research and field work. And um, I worked with interns who were from nearby colleges. And I think it's, like, we should do that something similar in um, the U.S. at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, that's sort of different where I was going with, but like, GPP. Everyone should do GPP. Yeah, yeah. This should be a marketing <laughs> video for GPP. Do global poverty practice. Mm. How has your experience been with it? What if overall, then, just for, in terms of the perspective of GPP? Of or analyzing GPP as a class, as a uh, as an experience so far, how has it been for you? Uh, yeah, so I think a lot of people when they like look at GDP and they're like they take it and they're like, oh, I want to fix poverty, right? Mm-hmm. One person taking one class, couple classes about poverty is not going to fix it. Like this minor does not like make a big impact in fixing the issue of poverty. Um, 
and like there's like a lot we can get into but I think that it's just really eye-opening and the way we look at the word the world globally mm. while uh, most Americans look at it individualistically uh, maybe just like their small friend group and stuff um, I think uh, maybe it was Chetan but he was like people who do the full GPP experience they're a really true minority in, in the sense that the way we think mm. and the way we look at systems and um, really just like give our heart to like this situation of society and I think it's like it, it's like it's like cool and awesome but it's also like sometimes isolating or like wow it's like not not like I don't know just like being in America like people don't really think about this all the time you mm -hmm. know like analyze social issues or talk about it daily or work towards it and it's just like man more people need to care and to be educated about these issues um but I think GBP has been great in providing one with a personal experience um to be able to be educated and just confront the privilege, you know. And obviously people in college in at Berkeley have varying levels of privilege, but they're at college at the best. At Berkeley. At, yeah. Bro, so let's be real. That's privilege. Yeah. You know? They have a privilege. So I think that it's like a really good thing for me to do. Like this time here that I've had in the Philippines, like it's been really life changing and eye opening. And transformative um like i know a lot of people who say it's like the best thing they did in college i, I might not say that yet but <laughs> <laughs> i still have two years but <laughs> uh but it was it's such a good thing to like have done and it just really changed the way i think about the world and see the world so I'm really grateful for GPP, all the professors and faculty that make it happen. Thank you, Chaitan. Thank you, Professor Talwalker, Professor Professor Kadir. I think there's one more. You know more of the names than I do. Damn, I'm bad with the names. But. Yeah. yeah, I forgot even Khalid's name. I was like, Kadir. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Shit, I'm in your class next time. <laughs> and Thursday? I think. I don't know. I Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday. I forget. I don't know what I signed up for. I mean, here in Makati, here in, the, in Manila, like, the world can get small, especially when you're, let's be honest, upper middle class here in the Philippines. Like, because you run in a certain circle, especially once we go down into age, age brackets. Because there's always something popping. There's always like yeah. the new business, right? That the new spot to go to. And it's funny how like things just change name or like re remodel and then it's the popping spot again. Like even in the fort, they'll just have a different spot. It's capitalism. Capitalism mm. works by constantly destroying and rebuilding and giving rebirth to new systems and reinvents itself. 
to get that status of infinite growth and, mm. you know, constantly changing itself, you know, because it has to sell itself because in this model, people get tired real fast, you know, fast fashion, um, like just other trends, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, you've seen so much change in the past 200 years. So much change. Yeah, you can say that in five years, the last five years. Yeah. So much change. And even the phones, right? Mm-hmm. Phones built for uh, planned, what's that word? Planned um, obsolescence, like where things are built to deteriorate so that you mm-hmm. can buy, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. buy yeah. a new one again, right? They're not built to last. They're made to just be slow, yeah. eventually to be replaced. So that's like the where the line is. Like, competitive competition is good for mm-hmm. society, mm-hmm. Um, and it, it technology comes out of it, inventions come out of it. But when that com- competitive uh, competition is like focused on profit and like outdoing the other, and when that creates an unequal unequal playing ground, mm-hmm. right? Um, playing field, it that's where the problems start to happen, you know? That's where people start fighting to like, even survive, get food, water. Um, I think for me, it really keyed in, in terms of how fucked up the, the process of capitalism in terms of competition. Like for me, I, I totally agree in terms how competition is good for human psyche for progression, for development. But what really fucked me up was seeing the supply chain and how, yeah, they're competing, corporations are competing, right? And one will win and stuff like that. But where's the supply chain coming from? They're still getting the resources from the most marginalized communities and they all suffer. All of these folks here in the Philippines in the rural areas through labor, through resource exploitation, it's only benefiting, yeah, there's good competition, but those at the top that are usually controlled by shareholders, corporations in first world countries, in the World Bank, in the United Nations that are still controlled by veto power by the what, set five, six countries that are the largest imperialist countries, yeah. right? Even the UN, right? As great as the UN is, great, quote unquote, right? still serves a lot of the interests of the ones who hold you in power, right? Yeah, it's not the, definitely. the uh, or those five nations, six nations that hold the, U- the power of the UN in their grasp, right? So that's what I realized. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, like we, I think here we on some level play out a caric- caric- caricature of American capitalism, especially in Makati, in Manila, mm-hmm. at the expense of 90% of the Filipinos, yeah. right? Because if you really try to analyze it, a lot of this status symbols and things are American value sets of, right? What, what products, what, even Ford, a Ford car here is a luxury right yeah in comparison to like i don't give a fuck about a ford in the u.s right yeah cool truck whatever give me that toyota but like on some level it's a status because it's an import 
it's not a Toyota, yeah. right? Even a, a Subaru, things like that, different things, just status symbols of wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Going to an international school and, and once again, coming back to it, speaking English, right? Yeah. The repercussions of that shit, but I think that's why I'm in the search for and very supportive of people who have found the hope and who are actively doing something to address these things, right? And the beauty of it is that there are a lot. The reality is a lot of them do it out of necessity, right? But I have also met a lot of even more privileged folks out here who have put in a lot of their time to put in work for the community, right? Um, And like one example, this dude from Sikad, which is Sinin Kadamai, the arts org, for for Kadamai, um, he's he's from he has his family has a good house and car things like that, but he's putting in a lot of work for the community org, like editing videos, all nonprofit, no pay for him or anything, just to put out documentaries about the rice mill workers in this sense, right? Helping with that and seeing the seeing that type of relationship, especially for a local here to the Philippines who has access to more resources and is doing that, that's where I got some hope, right? Because I'm still, honestly, a little bit of an outsider, right? I'm only here in the summer, so I can talk a lot of shit about, like, yes, these are privileged and, uh, like, help serve the masses, but, motherfucker, I'm here for six weeks, right? (laughs) I ain't confronting this on an everyday basis, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that's why I'm on the hunt for hope. Yeah, definitely. That's something I'm thinking about as I, you know, on Friday I'm getting on the plane. Yeah, you're leaving, bro. Plane. Not quite going back to America yet, but I'm going to my spend time with my family, and it's just like it's gonna be very different and very like. I just had this, you know, entire experience, and you know, I feel like it's different for other GPP students. Like, we're living in a very developed part of the world. Yes, yes. You know? Alright, I mean, just the same. Of the country, yeah. Of the country, right? Um, But, like, to all of our GPP friends who are, like, out in, like, rural India or rural... Africa. Peru. Yeah, or Latin America. Yeah, yeah. it's just, like, I don't know. It's... I I think it's... uh, Our experience is interesting because... Um, we're seeing both ends, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is problematic, but compared to just like people who are just like, completely in the uh, one end, mm-hmm. you know. So it's something I'm really think, thinking about a lot. Of how, like, yes, I'm having this transformative experience, and I've learned so much. How can I give back and continue to give back, um, and really? just do the most I can with the cards I've been dealt, you know? Still figuring it out. Can you give me a rundown of your experience with the org Ebon that you um, have been working with here for like probably almost two months already? Yeah, two months. Um, Yeah, so Ebon International is... Get it right! They'll be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's been with us for two months. 
<laughs> we just had a meeting today that was talking about what Ibon is and that. Oh yeah? Well, sort of, yeah. Anyways, um, Ibon International has its roots in Ibon Foundation, which uh, started during the Marcus regime mm -hmm. in the 70s. So uh, we've been around for 40 years-ish. Um, and Ibon Foundation does a lot of work um, within the Philippines uh, doing human rights like things and activism um, while Ibon International spent span out of that like I think 12 15 years ago maybe um, and they look at the world globally and they do a lot of research and publications about like the status of um, both the Philippines but also um, the global context of um, many different issues like trade and development, militarism, uh, climate justice, and these articles, um, they're doing a lot to inform the public of what's going on. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who, um, a lot of college students who are like, yeah, I, I've read Ebon's work in my college classes. And that's like one one area we like make a difference. But also, um, we do a lot of uh, trainings and give materials and information to local community partners. Like for example, the project I worked on when I was here, I uh, created a set of five modules that um, is supposed to be used for a two to three day training program for uh, NGOs across the. Uh, NGO partners in five different countries to use to teach civilians about climate justice. Basically, lesson plan to teach um, people about climate justice. And um, when we create those materials and that information, we're allowed to disseminate it through like our partners who can use it to better um, the capacity and like, effectiveness of different uh, social movements and community mm -hmm. groups. So, um, I think uh, Ibon International's work is very necessi necessary for like, people to be doing that research and uh, getting that information out there and just like being a, like, a watchdog of like, what governments are doing uh, and how people are being their rights are being violated. Um, they also like will do like um, not only like global research, but they'll do projects where they'll um, go to communities and do research with partners, and they'll incorporate that incorporate that into like the publications they they produce and stuff like that. How's your like? What has been one of the like big takeaways for you in terms of working with this org, especially within the GPP context. I've seen Ebon in terms of, it's been cool like to see Ebon's work at some of the schools that we visited actually too. Uh -huh. Yeah, like because I visited them last year and then um, I was like, oh, okay, they make curriculum. And then I visited a school down in Minden and I was like, oh, it's an Ebon book. And <laughs> that, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. See it. What has it? How has the experience been? Like, other than what have you done? How has it been personally? 
I think it's really cool. I think uh, a lot of the people who are in the office, they're very intelligent and they're very um, just, you know, passionate and they care about like what they're doing. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I think they have similar politics to me. So it's been really cool to just um, like work with them and be surrounded by them and um, just know that the work we're like that's happening is uh, is like making an impact. Uh, it's also cool because I through Yvonne I've been to like some events that they've put on um, or uh, yeah events that they put Do on. Do you go to the bird talks? Uh, I haven't. I think that oh yeah, man. there was one I was supposed to go to. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm telling Shaitan. <laughs> yeah, but I think working with Ebon, it's been eye-opening in many ways. Like just the type of work I want to do in the future, and the like environment I want to work in. Um, but also just seeing like. Because I friended all these people on Facebook and like seeing like the type of things they post about and what they talk about and um, what they what really matters to them and it, I've learned a lot from like what's happening in the Philippines and issues that I haven't like thought like that in depth in about and uh, they've just been so friendly and welcoming as well. So you would recommend? Is this a would recommend for other JPP folks to go with Yvonne? Yeah, um, I think that with Yvonne, um, especially because I don't know the language, I felt like I could actually do work that was effective and mm. that made an impact. Um, Why? Because a lot of the stuff because was in English. I was writing in English and mm. I could do my research and stuff in English and. While it's, you know, not my favorite to be in an office sitting behind a computer, like I know if I tried to go into the communities and like do interview or community work, it would be very hard for me um, because I don't know Tagalog and at this point in my life, you know. Um, so I know that there are other groups, other GPB students where like, language is a big like factor in where you go and where you um, the experience that you have where you are obviously it, it doesn't like always stop people and like definitely if there's a place where you're really passionate about and you don't know the language like it'll, it'll probably work out but there's gonna be challenges there it's gonna be like, isolating and difficult but I think um, in, for me and Ibon have been able to have like the great experience of being in the Philippines and like learning and seeing things in person, but also feel like I was doing effective work that that was like actually something, you know, because uh, I was talking to Lorraine, who's in the Philippines, and she was telling me, she, she's fluent to college, so she was telling me um, 
the her coworkers were like, "Yeah, if you didn't know uh, Tagalog, we wouldn't know what to do with you." So like, I would like, what if I went there? You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, I'm ready to help," but I can't speak to anyone, and, and I don't know how to. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, I think that's like definitely a thing. I would try to go somewhere where you know the language. Um, or that they can speak a lot of English. Or they can speak the uh, English, which is like limiting your op- options, but um, it, it depends on what you're looking for. Um, because, and just like outside of language, but you, you don't expect to like feel like you saved the world or like oh, yeah. feel like you made a difference. Yep. Um, because you didn't, you know. Exactly. <laughs> says you didn't. Oh my god. I, I mean, you ain't gonna save the world. You're no. not making a big impact. Like the people we've been working with, like there are people in my office who have been there for twenty plus years, right? And and NGOs all around the world. There's been people who've been in that field for a long time. And a college student who's there for six weeks, not gonna make a difference, you know. Like I feel like a lot of GPP students, they, I don't know. I feel like we'll talk about this during one ninety six, but they, they'll feel like oh, they'll feel like they're not necessary. Like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't matter if they weren't in their org. Um, that's like low key true. <laughs> Obviously, like, we, as college students who've been educated in like this type of theory and um, education, like we have ideas and we have um, different ways. But it's just like also the fact that you're an outsider, you're coming into the space. Um, I don't know. You would have to like establish yourself before you can actually like make big changes or like make a real you know because a lot of times especially in the communities it's about like relationships you know it's not about your status or your education all the time um so yeah i don't know <laughs> i feel it i think it is i think it is very important like wake up call and even for a lot of activists Right, like just to be aware, like and to have that humility that, bro, you ain't changing the world with that single thing, with your f- Facebook posts. But I mean, it's gonna help on some level to build awareness, solidarity if it's done correctly and if you are consistent with it. But it really comes down to joining the movements that are there that. Um, because it's all collective action that makes the most impact, in my opinion. Yeah. It is collective action. So maybe that post will lead you towards an organization that you can join up with and work with and collectively do something and be part of a larger movement. Um, but I think it is very important for activists, for students, for volunteers in general to like, settle down, Savior. You ain't, you ain't little Dwight, little Jesus out here saving the world, but you can support, you can contribute, you can do something. Yeah. Right? 
um, but just be aware that you know you you are a speck, but make that speck worth it in that sense. Mm-hmm. On top of that, I'd say for anyone who does GPP or who goes like on a like, exposure trip or like into a different country, like sure you might like have gained a lot of experience and knowledge and information and grown and you know been transformed, but that doesn't matter unless you go back and unless you actually do something with that. You know? mm, because mm. Um, whether you're in a homestay or like interviews with community members, like they they have given you a lot of it, like knowledge and like experience. Um, and for you to take that and just, you know, return to your life, right? That's not, like, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you know, give back. You gotta take what you learned and do something. Um, that's what I've been thinking about. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about, like, how I'm gonna do something and how or if or when I will come back. And what would that look like? Mm. Yeah. I totally agree with you, though. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of visiting communities, taking video, and just going back to my life back in the U.S., posting one or two things, and then, like, sounding hella woke and some shit, and then, the issue here is blah, 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 corporation, and blah, 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 issue, paying paid this amount of money, blah, 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 and then going back to school, and, like, work and everything. Yeah. But I, I really believe, like, what you were saying, them giving that knowledge, and it's not just knowledge or information or lessons, it's their lives. Their, their life. They're yeah. giving you their life through their the story, story, right? And, but I think that's where like, okay, to have some humility and some patience with yourself that, okay, you ain't gonna be savior overnight, but also be, have it be locally led, like asking them, how can I help, right? And honestly, a lot of them, a lot of the folks, communities that I visited, a lot of them just say, just share our story. Just let people know what's going on here yeah. and maximize the effort to kind of be a multiplying effect, right? Mm-hmm. Don't speak for them, but let them be a voice that amplifies theirs. Yeah. Right? And I think that's where it's, it's important to really be a student of the folks that you visit. Yeah, um, on that note, for, you know, sharing your stories, like that's something I've been doing recently. Um, I've been posting a lot on Instagram and Facebook about um, the that trip to Badangas with the Fisher folk and other people and things I've met in the Philippines. And like, um, to like people out there who, who don't have the opportunity to go on like a trip like this or something like that. Like, like your likes are great, but a share is much better, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Some real talk right here. Yeah, like, <laughs> I didn't know where this was just, going. It's just like, like, yeah, it's, it's just like <laughs> a like is good. Yeah. A comment. Sure. But like a share just, uh, gets the word out much farther, you know, it spreads it out and um, 
like it's just it's, it's such a small thing but it would make a bigger difference in in terms of like uh impact i guess but mm-hmm. uh we have to know that you know likes and hashtags aren't gonna solve anything unless we pair that with action and we pair that with conversation and discussion about how do we use our privilege and how do we want to change our society because if if we don't like if we just like oh that's so terrible that's sad and move on with our lives that's we're being complicit and we're you know it's that like doesn't mean anything mm. So he's saying share his shit, fam. <laughs> <laughs> share this episode, <laughs> subscribe, give some time for GPP and roll and come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what that's what that's what he's saying, that's what he's saying. <laughs> but I agree, I agree. I think there's it's like one of those tools, right? Like social media is a tool. And we've been like learning and it's been evolving with us too, like as users Mm -hmm. and how, what then does it provide? What, how can we use it? Because we're, it's kind of like we're learning alongside its evolution um, and then finding ways to use it more effectively in that sense for actual real tangible change for like whatever issue or whatever community we want to I think social media is really interesting in that like, it's definitely allowed for a lot of individuality. Like, mm-hmm. um, in the provinces, like you have the kids who are living in poverty, but they, they are able to have a Facebook account yeah. and they're able to like post about and pictures of themselves or like their thoughts. And like, that's great. You know, um, the, the, the way that individuality is, able to be developed through social media, but also um, we can't just let it just be individualism. Like, um, you know, share a post about the world or social issues sometimes. Like, it's, it's not going to hurt your aesthetic. Or, <laughs> or, uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> Real talk right here, fam. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, the IG aesthetic has to match with the color scheme. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's gonna mess up my feed. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Like the whole point about social media is to like show other people who you are and who you want to display of yourself, and but it's also like a community. Like mm-hmm. you know, the benefits of social media where like, you're able to keep relationships that you wouldn't have normally, or you're able to like at least follow someone's life and like where they, what they're up to like that's great and like there's a community like um i've noticed like people who post more on social media like i feel like i know them better like just there's just, i mean just like that's a, a little bit yeah, um, yeah um but yeah it's like post about what you care about and i think not okay not like calling anyone out but if you post up if you only post about yourself then isn't that showing the world what you care about? (laughs) 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 That's a good point of view. That's a good point of view. 
But damn, some people just be posting ass all day on some Instagram model shit. So, hey, they be making money. That's their grind. That's their hustle. Some folks be on that for their marketing and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand though. But when you were sharing, bruh, there's this one lady that I, I don't know how, I, I don't know if I even met her in person. We just follow each other. And then I've followed her like throughout life, like the last three <laughs> years and stuff. She met some guy, they were dating, they end up having a kid. The kid is what, like two, three years old now. <laughs> and I've never, I don't think I've <laughs> met these people, but then we just follow each other. Like, and she followed me for the same amount of time. Like, I wonder, like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's, an, it's an interesting thing, this social media. But I definitely can, uh, can see it like have its impact though especially on the i mean i feel the impact on me sometimes i end up scrolling too much like i've had fights in relationships because of which shit i like or what i comment on and then one time i commented some fire emoji and the philippine flag and i got in trouble because it was like girls photos so i was like those are like my sisters from high school like like but in just context of what it looks like it, does, it makes an issue like yeah. At the same time, it's a great connection. I've met folks that I've had on the podcast just because of social media, connecting and then messaging, things like that. I met, I met the last dude, Nico, all over social media first before I saw him in person just by chance, like that. Things like that. I'm like, what the fuck? Hey, I know you. Like that. On that tip. So it has those connections. Oh, did you? <laughs> a random, but did you know that uh, Lauren... She was following you for several months before I introduced you. <laughs> yeah, she said, she told me. She was like, hey, Bull, I follow you on Twitter and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, shit. I hope you haven't seen the, the, like, the 2 a.m. like thirsty shit that I post and delete after. <laughs> but she, yeah, she said she liked yeah, some of the more woke stuff. I hate like, the term woke, by the way. <laughs> I'm not woke. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's like, we recognize that social media has a lot of good, and but it also has a lot of bad. And you know, capitalism is a similar way. Like, there's good things about the system, but there's also a lot of bad, mm. and it's just getting worse. Mm. Um, and we need to think about the things in our lives that we that are like that, and we need to think about how we can like, piece together like all the good things and like all the different things and. Make something new. Mm. Word. So, I like asking this before we close up um, this little section of three pieces of advice based on what you've shared, your trajectory from like high school, getting into from your Eagle Scout days into environmentalism and even shifting now towards like this change in perspective, finally being with communities here in the Philippines. What are three pieces of advice? that you would give to the younger Jed Lee? The younger Jed Lee? Yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe that budding environmentalist in a sense and like getting into through high school or college. Uh -huh. I'd say keep an open mind, um, take risks and uh, just learn as much as you can, mm. which is 
I don't have anything better, so. <laughs> <laughs> Why did those come up in mind? Did you not take as much risks before? Or did you not have an open mind? Or is it just that those are what's brought you to where you're at? Those are what have brought me to what I'm at. Like, I think having an open mind and wanting to learn about the world I live in and who I am and just the things that are affecting me and shaping me um, have brought me where I am and like what I care about, what I know about. Um, and then I think it's, it's just a good advice in general to take risks because uh, risks are where, are how you're gonna get places, you know, how you're gonna advance. And like, yes, you could play it safe and, you know, still like keep moving forward in life, but it's just like the, the really like high points or low points are the things that are gonna like shape you, you know? Mm. Um, like, um, when people are comfortable, right, they, it's a good life, right? And being comfortable is good, but also your growth, your growth is stagnating because growth only comes out of uncomfortability. Um, or like real transformative growth, you know? Like this two months has been really uncomfortable, but I've learned so much and I've been transformed in ways that I like, I'm still processing. Um, so I think that like, yes, you can be scared of like the consequences or if things don't work out or if you might look bad, I guess, I don't know, but I just like take a risk, you know, whatever it may be, right? And yes, you might fail, but yes, you might succeed and that will be so much, you'll thank yourself for it after, yeah. you know, like I feel like yeah, it's just like, you hear stories like, oh, I'm so glad I decided to like take that class or to go on that date or, um, I don't know, like, move, move to somewhere else. I get, um, yeah, I feel like those are what are pe uh, people appreciate the, the, the big jumps and like going for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, go for it. Like. Whatever it is, take your risk. Take your don't risk. get comfortable. Do you have any? The comfortability is good, but don't stay comfortable. Don't stay comfortable. I don't. I had I had on my on my vision board at home. I think it was don't get comfortable. Don't stay comfortable. Something. Don't be comfortable. Or don't stay comfortable. Mm -hmm. One of those. Comfort is a killer of creativity. That's what I've heard also. Um, um, yeah. But David Cho, he said something like that. Because you just get used to what you have and then you just mm -hmm. stay stagnant. So, brother, do you have any last messages or any thoughts you want to you know, talk, cover? Uh, no. How can people contact you? Uh, you need to change your IG name, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that is so I was, confusing. I was just thinking about that, yeah. <laughs> Well, at this point in time, it's <laughs> at J-E-L-L -L with seven E's after it, <laughs> Jelly. Um, Why seven E's? Any special reason? 
sexy was taken. <laughs> really? Really? I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll change it. I, I've been trying to think of a new one. Uh, I'm on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, just Jedly, J-D-L-E. Um, yeah. So, and the, you're going to be in your third year at Berkeley? Yeah, third year. What's your major? Uh, I'm doing society and environment and three minors. Global poverty practice, food systems, and city planning. Damn. Uh, if people want to run into you on campus, what clubs are you active Spaces. I'm on the triathlon team. Oh, go, to, go, go Cal Tri. Um, I'm in Students of Color Environment Collective. Another shout out. Um, those are like the two big ones. Oh, um, I also work for the Student Environmental Resource Center, CERC. Um, yeah. Where are you living next year? Are you living on campus? No, oh, I'm yeah. pretty far actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bancroft and San Pablo. <laughs> oh, I'm not even sure what that is. That's far? It's far, yeah. Are you biking to school? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, triathlon. <laughs> so, thanks, brother. Uh, special edition podcast. Now, this is the love episode.